live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. You do know there's a World Series game tonight, right? I said, oh, I know. I know. I just, frankly, don't care about it as much as I do some other things. You know, like, my response to, hey, Rome, you do know there's a World Series game tonight was, hey, listener, you do know there's an NFL trade deadline, right? And that the likes of Chase Claypool just moved, right? Anyway, with that in mind, with that in mind, Philly fan, I will start with you, believe it or not. Over the trade deadline, over the Nets debacle, over everything. And you know why I'm going to start with you, Philly fan? Not because it's the World Series, but because I love you, Philly fan. Because those people know how to party. You cannot take that away from them ever. There is no party like a Philly party. Unless you know of another town that pre-Crisco's lampposts and has to hide horse pies and cease in selling diesel batteries ahead of major sporting events. Those people know how to get down. And last night was a straight-up, wire-to-wire, stadium-rocking rager at Citizens Bank Park. And that party literally started on the very first pitch. I mean, literally. First pitch of the game to Jose Altuve. He dinks one to right, and then all hell breaks loose. He'll be ready to swing first pitch. Off we go in game three. He swings away, floats it to right. Castellano scrapes it off of the deck. One gone, one swing, one highlight play. That's it. One gone, one swing, one highlight play, one rabid crowd already foaming at the mouth. And then that energy rolled right into the bottom of the first when Philly kicked off the home run derby portion of the evening. Specifically, Bryce Harper kicked off the homer portion of the night on the very first pitch he saw. The colors to Harper. It's good. Right center field. Lightning strikes. Two nothing fills. A Bryce bomb. Two nothing fills. And an A-B that was quite possibly the turning point of the entire game. And it was right there in the bottom of the first inning. Yes, I said it. That's how important that was. Because if you watch what happened right after the home run, you saw the Fox cameras pick up Bryce calling over Alec Bohm from the on-deck circle. Because clearly Bryce was onto something. Bryce picked up on something. Fast forward to the first pitch of the bottom of the second. Bohm. Bomb. 2 nothing Phillies. Alec Bohm starts the second. And rips one to left field. Over Alvarez. And gone! Ambrus! Freeze it! Fox on the call. Yes, I guess it was over Alvarez. It was over the wall. Probably got over the player. Alec Bohm. He's got to be the perfect symbol for this insane journey and heater that this ball club has been on this season. I mean, remember, this was the dude caught mouthing, and I quote, I effing hate this place. In the infield during a nightmare inning back in April. Remember that. I think we've forgotten about that. Remember that. We talked about that at that time and how well he handled that. But he did say that. He did say, I effing hate this place. Everybody saw it. 
And yet somehow he's gone from I effing hate this place to legit crowd favorite in six months. From I effing hate this place to going yard in game three of the World Series. Again, kind of feels exactly like the journey and the heater that this team is on right now. It's also worth reminding the Phillies were 21 and 29 on June 1st. They fired their manager on June 3rd. The dude currently managing this team only shed the interim tag three weeks ago, which is why it is so insane to witness this squad bludgeoning the hell out of the best and hottest team in baseball in the World Series. And that's exactly what Philly did last night. They bludgeoned the hell out of Lance McCullers and the Strohs. Houston did not even get out of the bottom of the second before the next missile was launched. This time off of Brandon Marsh's bat. On a 2-0 from McCullers. Marsh hits a fly ball to right field. Tucker drifting back to the track. To the wall. He can get it. It's off the top of the wall. And gone. The third home run for the Phillies. I'm telling you, the Phillies have been on this insane journey, and so has B. Marsh. My dude, he's come a long way from the Big A. It's kind of weird to think about, isn't it? Did this guy actually play for the Angels this year? Did he actually come on this show in June as an Angel? I mean, that is weird. Weird. But that's the bender. That's the journey. That's the heater they've been on. Philly, though, was not done. In fact, they still had more scuds to launch, including this two-run Schwarbaum in the fifth. Giving away pitches. Schwarber flies it to center field. McCormick's going back. He's at the track. He's at the wall. Gone. Wow. Monstrous blast. Man, that dude does hit bombs. That dude does hit bombs. That made it 6 nothing, And they still weren't done. Reese Hoskins. Finally delivered the knockout blow to McCullers. Their own mechanics when they're at the plate. Hoskins with a drive. Left field. Wow! An explosion. The South Philly Bombers with five. I mean, holy crap, Dusty. Anytime. I mean, great manager. But didn't we see this act way, way, way back in the day with Frisco? Any time, Dusty. What a rough scene for Lance McCullers. No pitcher, check this, no pitcher has ever allowed five home runs in a World Series game until last night. Good luck shaking that off. Five bombs in a World Series game, which is why all anybody is talking about today is him tipping pitches. And then you go back to that moment, that moment that I mentioned at the very top, that moment where Bryce Harper and Alec Bohm had that conversation in the first. And then Home Run Derby started shortly thereafter. Pretty easy to see why everybody thought that McCullers was tipping pitches. You know, not just me saying that, but no less an authority than the Ionic Pedro Martinez. Ionic. Who laid it out on MLB Network after the game. He says it was the height of McCullers' glove on off-speed pitches. Specifically, the slide piece. Hey, listen, if Pete says it, it's true. If Pedro says it, it's true. Why? Because he's Pedro. Also because it's pretty damn obvious something was up. 
If that guy's giving up five bombs, if that guy's doing something that has never happened in a World Series game before, something was up. I'm not sure what it was. I don't know if it was that. I don't know if it was his leg kick. Whatever the hell it was, if it was anything at all, hitting a baseball may still be the hardest thing to do in all of sports, but it's a hell of a lot easier to do when you know what pitch is coming. And the Phillies seem to know exactly what pitch was coming. I mean, how else do you explain them doing something that has never been done in the World Series ever before? Now, that said, you still have to put a swing on the ball, right? You still have to connect. You still have to square it up. So I'm not taking anything away from the Phillies, even if you know what's coming. It's a lot easier if you know what's coming, but you still have to do it. Their bats could not be any hotter. They could not be applying any more blunt force trauma to the baseball right now. Oh, and on top of that, by the way, they did shut Houston out last night. And now they find themselves two wins away from a world championship. The freaking Phils. The Phils, who were 21 and 29. The Phils, who fired their manager midseason. Two more wins. And they have two more games. The next two nights in the great city of Philadelphia, which means, check this. I mean, you want to talk about wild. Check this. They could close this thing out at home. And I'm not sure the world is ready for what could happen after that. It's actually possible for the Eagles to get to 8-0 on Thursday night. The same night, the Phillies clinched the World Series. And then what? Does that city declare war on itself? Does that city declare nuclear war on itself if that happens? If the Phillies get to 8-0 the same night that, or the Eagles, the same night that the Phillies won the World Series? DEFCON 1? I don't know. Like, I feel like I got to be there for it. Again, I'm not sure what actually happens if that actually happens. (laughs) And it might sound like we're getting ahead of ourselves, right? You know, but if you haven't noticed, the Phillies have not lost at home this postseason. They're 6-0 and with 17 bombs in their ballpark in the postseason. Essentially, Philly fan has given Philly player superpowers in this postseason, which is why after the game, Nick Castellanos was all, I can't imagine what it's like for the Astros right now. Uh, it's second to none, man. You know, I keep going back to the same reference. The only thing I can compare it to really is a European soccer game. Jungle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough to play here, man. It's tough to play here uh, some, even as a home player, but I can't imagine what it's like for the Astros right now. You know, like they just really have zero breathing room, and that's a good thing. Such a great take. Like he compared it to a European soccer match. He said, it's, did you hear what he said? It's tough to play here, even as a home player. I can't imagine what it's like for the visiting team. I can. I think I can. Even sitting here in California, I think I can. I think what it feels like, it feels like it sucks for the Astros right now. And they've got to find a way, somehow, some way, to diffuse that insane Philly energy and to do it stat to do it quickly. They have to find a way to try to take that crowd out of it. Good luck with that, but they've got to find a way to get it done. You know what they need to do? They need to find a way to win tonight. 
This is a must-win game for the Astros because as great as they are and as tough as they are and as much grit as they have, coming back from a 3-1 deficit against a red-hot juggernaut like Philly is just not going to happen. And when I say Philly, I mean the team and the town and the energy. And if they don't, if they don't do that, I'll tell you something else. It's going to be a long-ass day for Philly City employee come Thursday. Waking up early, dragging out gigantic barrels of Crisco before dawn. Because you know Philly fans are going to get started early if, in fact, they even go to bed. Chris going up the lampposts, feeding immense amounts of Imodium to police horses, hiding every diesel battery in town, bubble wrapping the Liberty Bell. If they go ahead three games to one, look for all that. So what is the fastest ball sport in the world? Not baseball, not tennis. In fact, it is the sport of high lie, spelled J-A-I-A-L-A-I originating in the Basque region of Spain and played professionally in the U.S., most notably in the 1980s. Highlight is making an unprecedented comeback. The ball reaches speeds of 150 miles per hour. The action is intense. The danger factor is high. Six-person teams of professional athletes play the sport at the Magic City Fronten in Miami, Florida. I invite you to check out all the action Monday and Tuesday at 5 p.m. and Friday night at 7 p.m. Go to HighLightWorld.com or download the free Highlight app in the App Store. The sport with its intensity and athleticism is well worth watching. Check out all the action at HighlightWorld.com. Matches are played similar to tennis with a player or team required to win two sets to win a match. Each set is played up to six points. It is a sport you need to check out. HighlightWorld.com. Monday and Tuesday at 5 p.m., Friday at 7 p.m. And back to Dusty. Dusty's done an amazing job with the Astros. But somebody maybe might want to wake him up. Hey, my man, I'm not going to tell you how to manage your team because you're obviously very good at it. But anytime you want to go get McCullers, feel free. I mean, no rush, dude. It's only the World Series. And you can also say it was him tipping his pitches that gave them that dub. Or, or you can give credit where credit is due to this amazing heckler before the game. Before every start, McCullers, Hoskins got with your girlfriend in high school twice. That is getting smoked. How much sticky stuff's in that hair? I know there's something in that lettuce. Don't even get me started on you. Valdez, what's in your glove? What the hell's in your glove? Show me the off speed. My grandma could have rocked that. You need to figure it out. I haven't seen a strike yet. Philly's money line. Philly's money line is free tonight. Unbelievable. That is incredible. All right, first of all, I don't know what's... Where do I even start? First of all, was that Rick in Buffalo slash Philly? That sounded like Rick in Philly. That sounded like the Philly version of Rick in Buffalo, didn't it? Number two. 
I love the so-called lettuce blast. I thought I was the only one who went with lettuce blast. How about the lettuce blast? What's in that lettuce? And how about him saying over and over again, the money line. The money line is free tonight. Billy's money line is free tonight. I love this dude. I love this dude. I want to meet this dude. Hey, Philly fan, do not call up pretending to be that dude. I don't know how we vet that dude. I need like Ancestry.com or something. I need DNA. DNA proof on that dude. Submit a blood test. I need a DNA sample. I want it to be like... 48 hours. Somebody follow that guy around and get one of his cigarette butts that he smoked and put on the ground. Or get his coffee cup. Or get a Coke can. I want DNA. I need to meet that guy. I want to be friends with that guy. How much sticky stuff's in that hair? I know there's something in that lettuce. Incredible. Incredible. And before you tell me, hey, Rome, they're all like that. No, they're not. No, they're not. That dude's a legend. Billy's money line is free tonight. How much sticky stuff is in that hair? Check his lettuce. I know there's something in that lettuce. I'll tell you what. My grandma could have rocked that This, that guy might be better than my favorite heckler ever. Fat boy. Fat boy. I think that Philly heckles better. He just showed more more gears, more depth, more layers, more levels. That is next level heckling. Right when you think that the Astro players, because of the cheating scandal, have heard everything, they haven't heard that. If I'm an Astro pitcher, I'll tell you what. I'm going into that game cold. No warm-ups. Yeah, I know. They've heard everything. They're pros. They've been in hostile environments. They know what to do. Yeah, they've never been in that environment. Who the hell wants any of that? with your girlfriend in high school. I get twice. Twice. Hoskins got with your girlfriend in high school twice. Twice. And hit a bomb in the fifth. When they're at the plate. Hoskins with a drive. Left field. Wow. An explosion. The South Philly Bombers. Incredible. I'll tell you something else about that guy. Philly's money line is free tonight. I I like that bet. Philly's money line is free tonight. I'm not warming up with that in my ear. I'm taking the bump. And I didn't even say the umpire. I'm good. Hey, how, many, how many you need? Two. Two. No, I'm good. Let's go. Let's do this. I'm going in there ice cold. I haven't seen a strike yet. I love this dude. This is my new favorite dude, whoever that dude is. Absolutely incredible. He even jumped. I hate to say it. He jumped over Mets kid. Yeah, I don't know. Mets kid's pretty amazing. I don't know if I can jump him over Mets kid. That's Philly. Philly adult. Terry. Anyway. Terry. Anyway, you know how we always say that fans are out of hand, fans are angry, a lot of fans have miserable lives and do miserable things at the yard, buying a ticket does not give you license to do whatever the hell you want, there's a line, buying a ticket gives you license to do what that guy just did, 
That's okay. So another reason why I wanted to start with Philly Fan and the World Series and how important the game is. There you go. Don't tell me I don't talk baseball. Don't tell me I don't talk about the World Series. Find me a better show open regarding the Philadelphia Phillies and the World Series than that one. You can't. You won't. Why? Because of this dude, Alvin. I know there's something in that lettuce. Don't even get me started on you. Valdez, what's in your glove? What the hell's in your glove? Show me the offspring. Energy. My grandma could have rocked that. Show me the off speed. My grandma can rock that bleep. What's in the glove? What's in the hair? The money line is free. Oh, man, that's amazing. All right, so I have used antiperspirant sticks for years, but what is amazing about Dove Men Dry Spray is that it feels light and clean on your skin, and it's also quick and easy to use, and it's great for topping up when you're on the go. Now, let me ask you this. Do you feel like your antiperspirant keeps you dry all day? Dove Men Plus Care Dry Spray has an instantly drying antiperspirant formula that can help give you a cleaner feel and offers 48, I said 48, 48-hour sweat and odor protection. Dove Men Dry Spray feels light and clean on your skin, and it is so quick and easy to use, especially when you're on the go. Also, Dove Men Dry Spray contains... Dove's unique one-quarter moisturizing cream that helps to protect your skin. It leaves your skin feeling comfortable, and it helps to protect it. Win, win, win. Try Dove Men Dry Spray. Goes on dry, clean feel, all day. JD is in Philly. JD's got to be living his best life. JD, how you feeling today? Oh, Rome, thanks for the fantastic open. Uh, Playing a little hurt today, but... You guys, Houston's lucky that, that they did not show us on Halloween. Uh, there were dudes dressed in Altuve, cut off Altuve jerseys, wearing wires. And unless you want to go from a base to soprano, you do not wear a wire in South Philly. Uh, we got a note from management saying that no garbage cans would be allowed in the stadium, which ticked me off a little bit because I had the launch angle for my seats to the Astros bullpen all calculated. But... Um, <clears throat> If we do pull this off, uh, it's a, uh, the city is just going to explode because it is just so unexpected. And I know that America should be thanking us for uh, not subjecting you to tomahawk chalks or that's what's in. And you wonder, why are we so crazy? Look, sports in Philadelphia, it's not something we do. It is who we are. It is the second oldest state in America. Only Florida has more senior citizens. It is handed down from generation to generation, granddads, dads, and sons, and now our sons and daughters. You know, we listen on the radio. Our radio announcers are revered. You know, Harry Callis, Merrill Reese, etc. Something that, you know, it just shows to the power of radio. So I don't have much of a voice. Um, I've been to a lot of games over the years, and I have never seen it so insane and so passionate just want to say war philly war trades that you don't make like the honks who wanted us to trade for russ wilson hey russ we've got enough worse crap of our own we don't need your bronco crap you can keep it in denver i'm out my man and he hit the post jd hit the post got out on time rack him 
JD, that was your best call ever to the program. I love that. That was so great. Say, small business owners, listen up. You may have overpaid on your payroll taxes during COVID. Now, for years, big businesses have benefited from government tax credits. Now it is your turn to reap the benefits. If you employed five to 500 employees and you paid payroll taxes during COVID, you may be eligible for an employee tax credit refund of up to $26,000 per employee. To find out if you do qualify, call Omega Accounting Solutions right now trusted advisors and champions for America's small businesses. Omega has perfected a turnkey ERC process. So much so, they can tell you if you qualify for the ERC in 10 minutes or less. It's a quick and easy, painless process. Omega is highly rated by the Better Business Bureau and tax experts alike. In fact, tax advisors even turn to Omega for ERC advice. And since this exclusive tax credit will not be around forever, you want to make sure you pick up the phone and chat with a seasoned advisor. It's not too late to file. Get the money that the government owes you before the filing window closes or funds run out. Talk to an Omega expert right now by calling 800-704-2000 or go to OmegaTaxCredits.com. I'm joined right now by Joe Hayden. Joe, it is so good to have you on the show. How are you? Man, I'm doing great, man. Pleasure to be on. It's great to have you on, Joe. So you had yourself a week now, right? Last week, you signed a one-day contract to officially retire as a member of the Browns, and then you were honored by the team during Monday night's game with the Bengals. Can you take me back to Monday night? How emotional was that entire experience for you? Oh, man, it was really emotional. Uh, it was great to be back in Cleveland. Uh, they showed so much love. Uh, I was a complimentary dog after, so I got to go out there and and break the guitar. Uh, so it was a, it was a, just a really good experience. I had my family out there. I had my kids, my mom, my dad, uh, all my friends from uh, out in Cleveland. And it's a lot of like staff members uh, that were still there since I was there. So it was just a, a really, really, really good experience and a, a good way to cap my career out. We're talking to Joe Hayden. You know, Joe, you played at a really high level in Pittsburgh too. And you also had a lot of relationships and a lot of fans in the Berg. So why was it so important to retire as a Brown? I think it was a little more important for me just because when I got drafted to Cleveland, I was 21 years old. Uh, I wasn't married. I didn't have any children. And I felt like I kind of grew up there. Um, I had my second, I got my second contract there. And it just was like, I mean, I, like I grew up in Cleveland. I really embraced the city. I was going to all of the Cavs games, the Indians games. I just kind of was more um, embraced in, into the city and I kind of grew up there. So not, no disrespect to Pittsburgh. I mean, it was amazing how I got released from Cleveland and went to Pittsburgh and they, they embraced me too, being that I played for the uh, opposing team. Like, you know, they, the Cleveland Browns and Pittsburgh Steelers, they really don't get along. So just being getting that love from Cleveland and meant a lot to me. But me personally, um, that's kind of just where I grew up, and that's kind of where you know what I'm saying I, I felt like I became a man. We're talking to Joe Hayden. That that really is a transition. Those two sides do not like each other at all. And if we have time, I'll get to that. But I want to ask you about Cleveland because I think personally, Joe, my experience, Cleveland gets a bad rap. That is a great town with great fans. And most of the people who kill Cleveland have never been to Cleveland. What do people outside the area need to know about Cleveland that don't know about Cleveland? I would say that it is a it's a nice city, man. It's developing really nice. The the Cavs Stadium is beautiful. The Browns Stadium is beautiful. The Indians, I mean, uh, I mean, my bad, the Commanders uh, Stadium is beautiful. Uh, they have a lot of food. They have a lot of culture. 
Um, the nightlife isn't bad, West 6th Street. Um, so it's just a lot of, the zoo is amazing. There's a lot of things you do with your kids. Um, it's just that it's a spot that I was able to really, really get there, get on the floor, explore, and have a good time. And just, just a lot of good, good um, blue collar people, a lot of great people that love their city, love football. And if you give them, you know what I'm saying, I just show them, we didn't win too many games when I was there, but it was the effort, it was the me being in the community that they really kind of, I think, uh, respect it and I think that's kind of why we have such a such a good bond exactly that's what it is that's exactly what it is because there weren't a ton of wins but they respected the effort they respected your energy they respected that you embraced them and that you gave back let me ask you Joe all great athletes I, I always ask this question of great athletes all great athletes want to leave the game on their own terms but as you know Joe very few actually get to do you feel like you were able to I thought I really was honestly um this whole offseason, I thought I was going to play one more season. I thought I at least had one more year left. I was training my butt off this, this whole offseason. I like, didn't miss a workout and was still doing my regimen. Uh, I didn't do OTAs. I was waiting for training camp, just waiting for the kind of the offer to go up. Uh, I was fortunate enough to play 12 years, um, make a make make some good money, being able to save my money, have my, have my family, have my house out here in L.A. Uh, so it wasn't really the I, – I, I got my health, so it's kind of like – when, when I'm getting a minimum contracts of one and a half million dollars, am I really going to move my family uh, from where we're at now when I know I can do other things? I have other uh, avenues that I really like to do, other dreams I like to pursue. So uh, it kind of hit me like, man, I, I really, I love the game. I appreciate it. And I don't want to disrespect the game and not give it my all and, and feel like I'm the best, uh, best version of myself. So I kind of was, kind of made that decision to walk away. So like it, it, it was, it was, I'm at peace with it. Because I got my kids got the fan, but uh, it, it definitely was a was a tough decision. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I liked that a lot. I like that answer a lot. So, Joe, when you consider how strongly you felt about that team, how strongly you felt about the community, what did you think back in 2017 when they told you they were going to release you? What do you remember about that day? That had to have been a really challenging day. Uh, that was kind of the, one of the first times where you really, really understand that it is a business. Uh, I never thought I'd be playing for a different team, and it was kind of it's nothing that the coaches really could do. I mean, it's kind of, it's a, it's, a, it's a management thing, you know what I'm saying? And you really realize it and uh, that you are kind of looked at that as an asset. And if you don't, I was getting, I was hurt a couple of years. So it was like, you're getting paid as a top performer and you're not performing. So they kind of looked at it as a dollar and cents thing. And it kind of hit me like, you know, I I was fully embraced in, in, in Cleveland, you know? So, I mean, it just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks that, you know what I'm saying, end of the day, this is a business, so you got to make sure you look at it as such. You know, Joe, that point you just made that in the last couple of years, you were banged up, you weren't playing as much, and you know how it is, like your availability is your best ability. So then you go to Pittsburgh. I'm curious, because you weren't playing as much in your last couple of years in Cleveland, how critical was it to you to show your durability, your toughness, and that you played an additional five years and at a high level? Uh, I mean, that, that was my main goal. I knew that one, while I'm, when I, whenever I'm on the field, I'm able to perform, you know, and it wasn't a, it wasn't like a speedy thing. It wasn't like a, a athletic thing. It was a kind of just unfortunate uh, sports hernia, a couple just wear and tear on my groins from being able to play football that long. So I knew once I'm out there and I'm, and I was going to train and get back to full speed, I was going to be good to go. So it was more just like a, more a, a proven people wrong thing. And I kind of love the fact that, you know, the Steelers, they still, even though the, the Browns let me go, they still signed me three years, 27 million, not even, you know what I'm saying, not knowing what was up. So being able to go there and just prove myself right, be able to go to another 
uh, Pro Bowl and just continue to play at a high level was something that I just, I never wanted to be out there and people think I'm a liability. I'll tell you what, Joe, I'm glad. I, if I waited long enough, I knew I'd find something that athletically you and I might have in common. You mentioned the sports hernia. I had a double hernia, and I didn't know what it was. And then I found out what it was, and I had surgery to have that thing repaired. In fact, both of Me them. Too. Dude, dude, I, I could not get out of bed. I'm like, I don't what, – what the hell is going on? Why can I – why do I have to learn how to get out of bed again? It's no joke, is it? Definitely. I had the double – I had the same thing. I had the double sports hernia surgery. It, that, it, it, is no, it is no joke. Good, man. Finally, somebody to back me up on that. Finally, somebody to back me up on that. I'm glad. Listen, really quickly, I know I know you respected and loved your time in Pittsburgh. What was it like? I mean, that that's a also a storied franchise, great tradition, great defense. Looking back on your time in Pittsburgh, what was that like for you? Man, I honestly I loved it though. Um the, the coaching staff there, there's a lot, a lot of great vets that were there. Like I was there with the Pouncey, or me, and my boy, my boy Pouncey that I played with at Florida, uh, Big Ben. Um, Cam Hayward, uh, I was able to live with TJ Watt, Mika Fitzpatrick, just a bunch of just great players that love the game, are motivated to play at a high level. And then I uh, can't speak it highly enough about the Rooney family and the way that they run the organization. And then uh, Coach Tomlin, man, I mean, just the leader of men, one of the best coaches I've ever played for. He's able to just get to you. He's able to talk to you and able to just get his point across very, very well. I like it. All right, Joe. So like you said, you know it's time. You're with your family. You've got your kids. You feel great. What's the next thing? What's the next chapter of your life look like? The next chapter right now, I'm doing a lot of golf. I'm doing a little bit of relaxing. I'm bringing my kids to school a little more often. Uh, but I'm definitely going to get into the uh, commentating commentating side. I'm definitely uh, really, really interested in that. So I think next next season, you'll, you'll see me out a lot more often. I like that really quickly. You said you're playing a lot of golf. How are you hitting them right now? And can you share what kind of tracks are you playing out here in Cali? Man, I'm playing some good tracks. I'm a member actually at Lakeside and I play yeah. Bel Air pretty often. Uh, some of my friends are there, but I, I'm shooting around a good, I'm, I'm in the high 80s. I'm in the high 80s. I'm shooting around 86 to 89. Hey, Joe, like, that's good. That's great. As we know, golf is the great equalizer. This is why people love it, dude. I don't care how great an NFL player you were, right? Golf is the great equalizer. Lakeside is a really nice track. That's a classic track, isn't it? Yeah, oh, my goodness. It's amazing. The dudes there are amazing. The track is always amazing. The course is rolling amazing. So, you know, it's just always a good time to be able to just get out. And that's right up the street from me. So just let me know if you play. I'll get you out there too. Yeah, man, I, I, I should have. I joined a lot of clubs over the years. I never got around to it, but I used to be in the 818. I've spent some time in Lakeside. That's a beautiful place. But I'll tell you what, I can get together with you for anything else except that. My man, former NFL cornerback, three-time Pro Bowler, a <laughs> national champion, no less. Joe, so good to get caught up. You look great. You sound great. And I really do appreciate you. It's great to have you back on. Thanks so much for doing it. My man, no problem. I'll see you soon. You got it. Joe Hayden. This message is sponsored by Discover. Did you know you could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection? The latest innovation from Discover. Discover will help you regularly remove your personal info, like your name and address, from 10 popular people search websites that could sell your data. And they will do it for free. Activate in the Discover app and see terms and learn more at discover.com slash online Privacy protection. I want to talk about the Nets, though. I want to talk about the Nets because it's been nearly 24 hours 
since Steve Nash took the fall for the East Coast Lakers horrible start. No, hold on. Check that. Let me run that back. Let me rephrase that. It's been nearly 24 hours since Steve Nash was mutually fired by the Brooklyn Nets. No, wait. That makes no sense. How can a firing be mutual? Firing, you know, cause and effect, A to B. One person says, you're fired. The other one gets fired. You don't mutually agree upon a firing. Let me try that again. It's been one day, or about a day, since the Nets parted ways with Steve Nash, a.k.a. the dude who was obviously the problem. Obviously, this was all on Nash because they mutually fired him. He's the problem. Not the part-time player slash full-time conspiracy theorist and hate speech apologist. Not that guy. Not the dude who tried to get everybody fired before the season and then tried and failed to force his way out of town and off that team. Not that dude. And not the dude who is terrified to shoot the ball no matter where he is on the floor despite the max contract. Definitely not his fault. No. No. This is on Steve Nash. This is on Steve Nash. Luckily for the Nets, they were able to identify the problem quickly, solve it, keep moving. So, now that they took care of that, there should not be anything standing in the way of them moving forward and doing what they were built to do. Win, win, win. Starting with the Bulls last night in Brooklyn. Time to get this season right back on track. Am I right? Final score, Chicago 108, East Coast Lakers 99. And they were winning that game. They came from ahead to lose. You know what? Can't blame that on Steve Nash. And by the way, Nash, Nash was not a great coach, but Nash was not the worst coach either, all right? You can't blame last night's game on Nash. Well, it wasn't Nash's fault. I guess it was Jock Vaughn's fault. It's got to be Jock's fault, right? Good thing he's only interim. No, the black and white Titanic is now 2-6. and six. And to be fair, these Laker comps that I've been making aren't even fair. Because somehow the Nets have managed to blow right past the brick show in the category of biggest bleep show in the association. Not only did they just turn a Hall of Fame point guard and a back-to-back MVP as a player into the fall guy for their total circus act, they reportedly are trying to replace him with the dude that the Celtics suspended for an entire season even though he took them to the NBA Finals in year one, and coming into this season, they were on the short list to win it all. That guy is not allowed in the building. That guy was run for a year. We don't even know the details of exactly what happened with Ime Udoka in Boston. Although Boston knows. Boston knows enough that they suspended him for 82 games. Can you imagine it was actually this lame conversation about, hey, I wonder if that 
means the end of his pro career. I wonder if he'll never get another shot ever again. Yeah, either that or about six weeks after it happened. Are you kidding? The Nets. The Nets. According to Woj, the Nets have been vetting the circumstances around Udoka's suspension. I don't know when that, quote, vetting started. I don't know what that, quote, vetting involves. But already, seven games in, they're ready to hire this guy? What kind of vetting took place? And if it's an actual vetting, it certainly started before last week, right? If they actually did vet this guy. If they're already hiring a guy, this guy, then they clearly do not have a problem with him at all. Even though the Celtics want nothing to do with this guy at all. And again, like I said, this guy had the Celtics in the NBA Finals in year one. This guy had them as one of the favorites to win it all this year. And they locked him out of the building. They wanted nothing to do with him. But the Nets could not rush in to break off Nash and get a shot at this guy. That tells you all you need to know about the Nets. But while that tells you all you need to know about the Nets, it doesn't say anything that we didn't already know about the Nets. See, this is not surprising at all. Not surprising given that they're also okay with their point guard peddling hate speech. Kyrie, 2 of 12 last night, by the way, 2 of 12, a four-point effort to cap a really rough day for that organization. Because you know you can always count on Kyrie to come through. Good job. Good effort. Four points in a loss after they get their coach fired. I'll tell you who else is skating. KD. I don't care how well he's playing. KD. Of course, he showed up last night and he balled out. He does. He does play well. But that's not why he should be taking heat. He should be getting heat for being the architect of this entire Brooklyn nightmare. If LeBron has to wear the LeGM handle, and he should, then we should keep up that same energy with KD, a.k.a. the dude who wanted Kyrie and Steve Nash and then tried and failed to abandon the ship that he built himself this summer. And then, predictably yesterday, turned around and tried to act like he had nothing to do with Nash's, quote, mutual parting. He says he found out when everybody else found out. First off, I guess, when did you find out about Steve? How were you informed? About 1.15, I woke up from my nap and turned to the right and seen it on ESPN. And what were your, I mean, initial reaction? I mean, everybody knows what's what went on this summer, but what was your first thought when you saw that? Oh, uh, shocked. I mean, you're always shocked when a move like this happens, but it's normal in the NBA, you know, so it's about getting ready for the game that, tonight. So um, it's a quick turnaround always in the league, you know, especially during the season. Um, you know, you got practice games coming up, so you can't think too much about it, but, you know, um, it was on the mind for a little bit today. He called me jaded, but to that question of when did he find out, I can't help but think that he found out when he found out that he couldn't force his way out of town and then decided that he would fire Nash. That's when he found out. He found out when the words came out of his mouth, Steve, you're fired. That's when he found out. 
Allegedly. You want rich. How about this dude saying, when I woke up from my nap and I turned on ESPN, that's when I found out. And, quote, I was shocked. You were shocked. Did you just tell us you were shocked? Of all the shocking things, this dude was shocked that the organization bleep canned this coach. The same coach that he effectively said, I'm not playing for. Get rid of him or get rid of me. Bull, but you were shocked. And you found out the same time the rest of us found out. You had nothing to do with that. Oh, all right. You might as well call me Kevin Durr. Can't believe this is happening. No way. Steve's gone? Oh, wait a minute. Nobody, nobody consulted me. I'm one of the partners here. I mean, come on. And if that weren't rich enough, here was his answer on if he was consulted about the decision to fire er, mutually part ways with Steve Nash. A guy of your stature, were you consulted at least beforehand? Even yeah. though you didn't know for a certain degree. No, nah, I mean, you could come on. I mean, I'm a, let's be real. We pros, we, we're veterans. You know, we had a tough start. It was a rocky year last year, rocky summer. Uh, we knew that everybody was being evaluated. That's just how it is in the league, you know. So, uh, you know, I like working with Steve. I like working with the coaching staff. It was a, a roller coaster the last few years. But, you know, the core of it, basketball, is something that we all love to do, you know. So, regardless of who the coach, regardless of, you know, the circumstances, still got to come to work. So, I enjoy coming to work with Steve. See, that, that, that's neither believable nor is that an answer to the question. And I love how he described it as, quote, a rocky summer. Yeah, things do tend to get rocky, my man, when the best player tries to get the head coach and the GM fired. Of course it was a rocky summer, Katie. If the summer was rocky, it was your fault. Rocky summer. It was a rocky summer. Like, like there's distance or space between him and the rocky summer. Dude, you're the reason it was a rocky summer. You try to get the coach fired. You try to get the GM fired. And when that didn't work, you try to get yourself traded. And believe me, if they pulled the plug on Steve Nash, of course you knew about it. This is what I mean about these guys. I mean, come on with that. You're making the Lakers look like a model franchise right about now. You're making the already sinking purple and gold Titanic look like the Queen Mary coming off the production line and seaworthy as hell. You're making the Cleveland Browns look like they're a principled franchise. There are clown shows embarrassed to be associated with your clown show. Hey, but I guess the good news is the problem, the reason is now gone. Steve Nash, gone. Steve Nash can't ruin anything else. Nets fan, you're safe from the cancer that is Steve Nash. You're safe from the toxicity that was Steve Nash. Steve Nash will no longer bring you down. Believe me, that's probably one of the best days of his entire life, being informed that they were mutually parting ways. And pretty soon, 1B will be gone too. Jacques Vaughn, another solid dude. Way to make it all worse. Way to make it all worse, Jacques. Way to go, Jacques. You're bringing that ship down, Jacques. As soon as that guy's out of the way, then everything will be fine in Brooklyn. 
I'm telling you, like I always say, I never root for or against anyone. But I'm going to say it for the record. I am rooting against these guys because they're impossible to get behind and they're insulting and they're annoying as hell. I just wish I didn't have to ever talk about them ever again. But unfortunately, they pay me to talk about bleep shows and there is no bigger bleep show in sports right now than the Brooklyn Nets. Man, I wish I didn't have to. Why do I have to? Why do I have to? Well, one, I have jungle Tourette's. Why do I have to? Why do I have to? Because it's part of the job. And they are a bleep show. And then the guys most responsible for all of it either hide, no show, and own none of it, or show up and say, I, I didn't know. No, wait, wait, wait. What'd you say? And Katie's like, uh-huh. Steve Nash got fired? No way. Wow. Knock me over with a feather. No way. And where's Kyrie? Besides doing nothing on the floor and saying absolutely abhorrent things off it. Ross Chastain is my guest. Ross, it is really good to have you on. How are you? I'm good, sir. Uh, glad to be on. It's good to have you on. So, obviously, we got to start with what happened last weekend in Martinsville. You started that last lap in 10th, knowing you had to pick up a couple of spots to qualify for the championship race this weekend. I know you've talked about it, but I've got to know, what was your mindset and your plan going into that final lap? Uh, well, going into the final lap, I was pretty dejected. We were not in a spot to transfer. We had an incredible season um, and thought we were doing everything right, and I just didn't have the speed at Martinsville to run where I needed to to transfer. I was two spots away from um, from making it. And uh, when we took the white flag, I mean, that's the 499th of 500 laps the thought popped in my mind to run wide open through three and four. And my spotter said, we need to white flag. I confirmed it in one and two that we were out to make sure I wasn't off on my math. And my crew chief said, yes, got to get two spots. And from that moment, I fully committed to um, grabbing high gear in turn three, where I would normally be hitting the brakes and just get against the wall early and try to run around the outside. And about, to uh, less than a second into hitting the wall, I realized I was not slowing down and that it might work. And then um, I popped out on the front stretch there and saw the 11 car who I needed to be at least close to. And we ended up beating. My man, that is such a great explanation and description of what you did. It was such a, and we're showing it right now on CBS Sports Network. If you're watching on TV, you've seen this or you're seeing it now, or maybe you've already seen it because it was viral. It was such a wild, wild move. So for those who don't know, Ross, where did you get the idea to even try something like that? Uh, well, first of all, if, if I'm seeing it on, on the screen here, that's slowed down. That is not the speed. Yeah, right <laughs> it's now it's not. To watch yeah, on. no, you're right. You're right. You know, to see it in real speed, real time, it does not look real. It looks like it's artificially inserted into the video and just a car just that's not real is going around the outside. So, um, I, look, the, the last time and the only time that I've really ever done this was when I was a kid growing up. We had a GameCube uh, that we played the 2005 NASCAR game on, my brother Chad and me, and he did it first and I learned it there and we would do it. Uh, messing around and have not put any effort into it since and have not put any thought into it in our simulators or any preparation or any any math behind would it work um 
And I, it's what makes it even more wild to me that I, one, thought of it, and two, my brain decided to go and execute it. And then three, that I was actually able to execute it and pull it off. Exactly. You nailed it. I was going to make that point. Number one, it takes a certain dude to think of it. It takes a certain other dude to actually try it. And then it takes a third type of person to execute and succeed with it. And you're right. When I brought that up or when you were looking at that video, that was not in real speed. It didn't look real. It really didn't look real. In fact, Ross, what's really funny is when people say things like, yeah, that's just a video game move. Fact of the matter is that was just a video game move, but you did it and it worked. Here's my question. Since you did it and it worked, do you think we'll see others try to emulate or try and do it, or is that going to be a one-off? I don't know. You know, if, if NASCAR wants to put um, rules or anything in place or, you know, change the wall where it doesn't work as well, um, I don't think this would have ever worked with any other race car that we've had in the sport until the new car we have currently is the next-gen car. It is a complete reset, and it has been a reset for the sport where we don't manufacture our cars anymore. We buy them and assemble them. So it's a complete new design, um, and, and a lot of the components of this next-gen car are why it worked. I don't think it would have ever worked with the old car uh, or any other past car. And so I don't know if people will try it. Um, look, it was not pleasant in the moment. It's not fun to hit the wall. I mean, that's that goes against everything that me as a race car driver knows to do behind the wheel of a race car. The last thing I want to do is hit the wall because that usually takes me out of contention to win. And it doesn't feel good doing it, right? The walls are there to protect us, but they're not pleasant to hit. So um, the fact that it worked um, is amazing, but I'm not looking to go to Phoenix and do it. I'm not looking to even go back to Martinsville and do it because... Um, it was not a, not a pleasant experience, but, um, it accomplished our goal. I will do anything I can to accomplish the goals that we have. And that's, what's so crazy is that the sport of NASCAR lets us go race across the country at all these different racetracks with our race cars. And every now and then something completely unpredictable happens, um, and this weekend, it was me. Yeah, exactly right. That's what's so amazing. And some of the audio from some of the other teams and the reactions is priceless. Like, nobody had ever seen that before. People are like, are you kidding me? Did you see that? Like, holy crap, look what just happened. So you're right. It's not ideal to hit the wall. You don't ever want to hit the wall. When you did hit the wall, then what did you do? I mean, it seems kind of counterintuitive, but did you just let go of the wheel? Yeah, I held on initially um, and, and was in high gear wide open. And... Partway through the corner, I, I realized that there is a access gate in turn four that our semi haulers go in and out of to get in and out of the track. And um, it should be fine, but I thought that might be the weakest point. And so I took I did take my hands off the wheel about halfway through the corner um, in case the right front suspension or the right side of the car caught on that gate. Uh, fortunately, it did not. And I grabbed the wheel in the straightaway right as I was running into the back of what was the six car and the 11 on my driver's side. Um, and then I just held it against the wall because the suspension was destroyed. Uh, I had no brakes. The car was was hurt, um, but it was it was worth it because it worked out. Hey, Ross, I appreciate you being so uh, open and retelling this story. Really quickly, I'm curious, like generally speaking, I'm sure everybody's got an opinion, but your peers, the ones that did approach you, were they kind of like, dude, you are crazy, or dude, that was brilliant, or dude, don't you ever do that again? Like, what kind of responses were you getting from your peers after the fact? It's been a, it's been a mixed bag. I mean, yeah, it was it was crazy, and and uh, I've been fortunate enough to meet Travis Pastrana, another crazy driver in this world, and he said the you know the biggest difference between stupidity and brilliance is success, and luckily. <laughs> 
it's we succeeded, so it's brilliant, but it had a very high risk and a very, very high risk of of not working and a very low percentage of working out. So um yeah, they were there was some crazy comments my way, and there was also some negative uh comments that it was a bad look for the sport. And and what's ironic is that one of those guys with Kyle is is a big part of the reason that I've even thought about this because he's done it and he's attempted it and he's pushed the limits on our race cars up next to the wall uh, and he's tried this move. So um, it's kind of ironic and funny. Uh, it's a guy that I, I'm friends with and we we train together, but he took a little uh, little displeasure with it. Um, but hey, uh, that's that's life. He's got his opinion and I've got mine and uh, we get to go race for a championship. You know, I get that, Ross. You're talking about Kyle Larson. That it's, it's just curious that it came from him. What he said was, it's not a good look for the sport. It's pretty embarrassing, but it's just kind of rich that he said it when he's kind of tried it, right? I mean, I wouldn't expect him to say that, but I see your point. Listen, before you go, you're one of four drivers now in Sunday's race in Phoenix who's got a chance to win the Cup Series championship. Given that this is only your fourth full season in the Cup Series, what does it mean to you and the team to even be in this position? And then how do you feel about your chances of ripping the title? I feel good. Um, look, we've, we've executed and performed at a level this year that I've only dreamed of, but through 35 races, we've put ourselves in position to win races and to be here. And yes, it took a wild last lap move at Martinsville, but we have, we've done a lot of the things right now. We've made mistakes along the way and I definitely have, but the fact that we've made it here, like the Martinsville move, what's so cool is one that I get this feeling of nerves every morning and throughout these days that the excitement level of going in this Sunday, right. Fighting for a championship. I feel so blessed that I have these nerves inside of me, but what's so cool is that the Martinsville race could just be the move that got me to the championship where then we go and try to execute and try to win it. Right. Um, so I, I wouldn't want to be doing it with anybody else, um, you know, to, to come on to the cup scene in the last two years, like we have um, after a long career through trucks, Xfinity and some part-time cup racing to learn. Uh, is absolutely incredible that we've been able to do what we've done this year. Agreed. You know, bad look for the sport or one of the best looks for the sport. One last thought. Does this matter at all? You did finish second in the first race there back in March. Does that give you any kind of edge or any kind of confidence heading into Sunday's race? Uh, look, it's um, with, with this new car we've got, the sport has evolved this year more than it ever has in the past. And from a preseason test, maybe in January to I think the March race to now, we have just continued to learn about this car. And uh, although it looks the same, we're they're handling different. They're handling better than they ever have. So it's no guarantee that we'll go run second. And uh, and second might not be good enough from what we've seen in the past. But um, you know, I, I dang sure would rather have finished second there than twenty second in the spring for sure. You, you bet. He is the driver of the number one car for Trackhouse Racing. Laid out all the numbers and. Absolutely incredible finish last week in Martinsville. And you've got the NASCAR Cup Series Championship taking place Sunday at Phoenix Raceway, 3 p.m. Eastern. Huge day. Ross, really nice to have you on the program. I appreciate your thoughts. I appreciate that conversation a lot. Good luck. I appreciate it, too. Thank you for your time. Good night, now!